episode 31. I'm your host, Patty Johnson. This is the podcast where we talk about how to get more shows, grants, and residencies. And today on the podcast, we're going to talk about the rising cost of being an artist. And I have the artist William Pohida here with me today to discuss this topic. Hi, good, good to see you, Patty. <laughs> Good to see you too. So we have a number of things on the docket today in terms of uh, what constitutes the rising cost of being an artist. Um, I think probably the most obvious one or the one that many of us are familiar with, uh, if we have been following the art news, is the rising cost of admission fees at museums. But MoMA announced that it would be raising its admission cost to $30. And it is now in line with all of the other museums that have raised their prices. What are your thoughts uh, on this? Well, my first uh, thought about it was uh, a Threads post. And I just posted shitty distinction to join a club of $30, you know, admission fees uh, with the other museums. And uh, as a thread post, it got a lot of responses and certainly a lot of likes because I think people um, are not happy with this idea that museums are continuing to kind of raise their prices, even while attendance has been down at the museums. So instead of trying to try to make the museums more accessible, they're trying to recover the cost by just raising the ticket fees which for me is a little bit counterintuitive. And uh, I followed up this post with just a reminder that the New York Times had just recently published, you know, a list of all the salaries and benefits that the gallery directors receive. So, you know, these kind of very large sums of money being paid to directors whose main job at these institutions is to raise money from wealthy philanthropists and donors so that, you know, they can keep the museums running. And I know museums are expensive to run, but, you know, does somebody really need to be paid $2 million and be given a free apartment and luxury housing next to the museum? This is Glenn Lowry from the MoMA Museum. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I am not a fan of the increased cost to attend you know, these museums. And I'm thinking about families. I'm thinking about people that may not have a lot of disposable income to spend to take their kids, uh, you know, to a museum. Um, And I'm not thrilled with this development. I think, you know, there needs to be some way of thinking about maybe a kind of progressive pricing model for museum entrance fees that takes into account people have different income levels. So yeah, my my first reaction is I don't like this development. Yeah, I do think that it makes museums less accessible for everyone. I think for artists who need to go to museums professionally, this is a rising cost. However, you can register with these museums in New York as uh, an artist and get, is it free admission or reduced? Do you- a reduced admission. So at like MoMA, you can get an artist membership. And I don't know if it's like $70 a year, but if you bring a press release and say, I'm an artist, you can get discounted access to the museum. Certainly, if you're a faculty member, some institutions in New York City, you can get sort of free admission. I mean, it it is, you know, part of our job, I think, is to kind of offer some solutions here. So if you are visiting New York, and you know somebody who 
lives here and teaches at an institution, see if somebody can get you in for free. Or if you know somebody who's already a member of MoMA, see if you can get a guest pass or use their membership card. You know, I think <laughs> raising the admission fees is going to make artists think a little bit more creatively about how they can get in a little bit more cheaply. Right. I mean, what do you think about the argument that the cost of basically doing anything has gone up and so museums need to increase their prices because of that. There's inflation piled on the the reality that just, I think, pretty much everything costs more now. I don't know how to say this, but like there's a certain amount of inevitability that that has accompanied this news. It feels like this was just going to happen. And I don't like that feeling because... I don't think it is inevitable, but it feels that way. Well, I think it's an argument. The reason why I pointed out the director's salaries is that sort of like in the broader labor movement with the UAW strikes, you know, Robert Reich has been posting the ratios of the CEO pay to the worker pay, which in some cases, you know, is like 65 to one where you have CEOs making $29 million. These companies are making record profits, and yet they're still saying we need to kind of raise prices or we can't um, meet the uh, workers' demands because it's going to affect our profitability and shareholders will be unhappy. I'm not saying it's an exact equivalent with museums, but we can see that like museum directors make a lot of money. I'm also fairly sure that the admission fees for most museums is a relatively small part of their like operating income. You know, I, I feel like there was, a, yeah, I feel like there was a time where we were really advocating and pushing for free admission to museums, and that there would be ways to make it up. But I do feel like under the cover of that feeling of inevitability that you're kind of experiencing, like there's inflation, there's things happening. Of course, museums can sort of raise their admission, and that's where I sort of disagree. I think the museums need to think about ways of getting people into the museums just allow for more access because at the end of the day most of that work i mean it's it's held in the public trust it's really for the public to come see i wish museums were a little bit more like libraries (laughs) in that way that welcome come in but that's certainly not the case right now and so another side of this too is like Where is there the possibility of city or state or even federal funding to make admissions uh, to museums more affordable, if not sort of free? But right now, it doesn't seem like there's any sort of political will to make that happen. I guess what I push back and get a little upset about is this kind of like skin in the game argument, which is a very kind of neoliberal attitude that like to value the art, people need to pay something. Yeah, well, this is where I think I'm kind of going with this, right? You know, you and I are both inside the network membership talking to artists all of the time. And I would say like not a day goes by when somebody isn't talking about how hard it is to make ends meet, how expensive it is to be an artist. On the other hand, there's just not the same kind of will to be like, oh, okay, I see that this is a problem for everyone. What can we do in the nonprofit sector, the sector that is out here operating for the public good to make it more accessible, right? And that's where I feel like there is a little bit of a disconnect You know, one of the things that kind of got under my skin a little bit, actually, was that 
So Hyperallergic ran this article about how openings were demonstrating that the Lower East Side was still hot. And of course you read... What was the headline? Uh, We're back, you know, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course you read the thing and like you, you get down... Uh, a couple paragraphs and they say, well, you know, the Lower East Side was more sparsely populated than Chelsea and Tribeca, but, you know, it could be because of XYZ. But the thing nestled in that article was uh, the fact that the museum fees were more expensive. And so the galleries were free. We've talked about this before, but the idea that galleries are free is that is an illusion. You can go in there and look at work for free. That is true. But once that work is purchased, it is no longer available for view. And that is why a museum is important, because the work that we decide is important will be available for view in perpetuity. And that is what we are losing. It's not an equal trade-off. We're basically saying that like, if you really are interested in art, you need to kind of like put your money where your mouth is. And that's uh, it's like going to the library and then saying, on top of the taxes I'm paying towards this library, I'm going to start paying to rent this book. And then suddenly, you know, we're talking about Netflix and rental models as opposed to free access to culture. And knowledge. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so, so it seems like tied to this conversation is this uh, fees for entrance is this idea that we at least are privileging that like shared information, building shared knowledge is really important um, and making that available. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's not just the museums, right? Like we also just had our first art fair week of the fall in early September and the ticket fees to get into these fairs seem to keep rising. I I probably wouldn't have visited spring break if I hadn't been on a VIP list because I understood it was like something like $40 to get in. Yeah. And uh, I think it discourages if you're kind of interested or you want to go maybe network or meet people, see what's going on in the contemporary field. If there's a $50 barrier or a $100 barrier, Um, you know, it makes the decision a little easier to kind of say, well, you know what, I'm going to skip this one. And in fact, I am going to just go to the galleries because they are free. And I went to Tribeca and the, you know, streets certainly were very crowded that first Thursday night when there were openings. Um, I hadn't seen that kind of level activity in a couple of years. So it was nice. And I could see why hyperallergic might get sort of excited about that feeling. Yeah, um, but yeah. on the other side, yeah, I mean, buying tickets to go to Armory, I think it was independent, like their kind of modern modernist fair, um, or even art on paper, it wasn't you know going to happen. Yeah, so I uh, I think I probably wouldn't go to any of these fairs if I had to pay for them. So one of the <laughs> things that I always try to do though is like find ways to get tickets for free. I did that with Spring Break. I did that with the Armory. One of the things I noticed with the armory, so there's a couple things I think that are relevant here just in terms of where energy is, is that within the armory, it actually was a much better fair than I'd seen in years. And this is a weird thing to say, but I think part of that was that that usually there's these like massive blocks of real estate occupied by like Pace or White Cube or... Gagosian and David's Warner and Hauser and Worth, and they have all opted to skip the armory. And 
I don't know the individual reasons that they're doing that. But, you know, I might speculate that they're in New York already and these places are now enough of a draw on their own that they don't need the fare. They still do free, so I don't know how far that theory really goes, but they may not need more than one fare at least, right? You know, it had been tradition that collectors didn't really come back till like October-ish. I feel like they're coming back a little bit earlier because they just have so much money to spend or something. But the upshot of this at the Armory was really buzzy there. You know, there was a lot of fun art there. There was uh, like, I had a really good time. I met a lot of people. Um, That's why I go to these fairs. It's mostly to be able to connect with people. And it just felt different and different than say spring break where I felt like the energy was kind of subdued. There were no more, you know, lines around the block the way there used to be for the post office. So I think that energy has mostly shifted, I would say probably primarily to the openings that, that you went to in Tribeca where it just feels like a huge scene. And, you know, the armory has picked up a little bit too. But we'll see. Like we were saying, it costs a lot of money to go to the armory. And I had a lot of things going on that week. My sister was in town. Like I was going to go to the armory and take her with me. And then I realized that I couldn't do that without spending hundreds of dollars. (laughs) (laughs) I was curious, you know, I didn't go to armory, read uh, Martha Schwedener, you know, sort of covered like the 10 best booths in her opinion. And there wasn't a lot of things that jumped out as being sort of very surprising, you know, it was sort of like artists that I was fairly familiar with. But were there any particular booths that sort of jumped out that made it sort of fun? I mean, it looked like Jean Shin had a really kind of interesting, engaging, you know, sculptural installation. But yeah, was there anything beyond the atmosphere that sort of made it feel like Armory had lightened up or something? <laughs> well, I had this weird experience. This is this was a standout in a kind of negative way, but there was somebody at, I think it was called, the artist's name is Goshka Makuja at Vistamar. Mm. And another artist named Laurent Grasso at Sean Kelly. And the thing that I noticed with like both those artists was that they had produced very conservative work. There were landscapes in the style of, in one case, Renoir and in another, Monet. (laughs) I know. And I thought that was really funny that this was something that was, that was, I don't know if it was a trend exactly, because I was like, I I just need one more of these and then it'll be a trend. I can call it a trend, but I only (laughs) saw the two and they were like right nearby each other. So, you you know, you couldn't miss them. Friedrich Fraser. Um, had paintings by Maria Calandra. Um, These were like these sort of luscious landscape with flowers that were just uh, beautiful and kind of perfect art fair uh, types of work. And there was also some sculptures by Bo Dick, a Canadian artist. Um, And these were like sort of totems and things like that, that they had, like they were indigenous works and they stood out to me as being, I mean, both beautiful and sort of uh, weird things to see at an art fair. My favorite work was that Invisible Dog. 
This artist's name um, was Stephen Morrison, and he had a booth full of dogs dressed in uh, like suits. And they were there was one dog uh, taking a dealer pose with a cell phone. I have to tell you, maybe like three or four times I did a double take because I the pose was so perfect. It was like the exact dealer pose that that you would see some somebody in the booth. And I was like, who's this guy with the dog head? And then I realized it was a sculpture. And then like two minutes later, I turned around and was like, that guy has a dog head. So um, <laughs> it was really very funny. And um, I think that was the highlight of the fair for me. I think it's worth going to these fairs, um, but I think it's also worth spending a bit of time trying to figure out how you're going to do that in an affordable way. Because one of the things that artists have to think about too, and on, on top of these big charges for admission is all of the fees that you have to play it pay just to submit your work somewhere, right? Like the submittable fees really add up. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also increasingly expensive to visit the city. So we had a, a little bit of a, a talk about this before the podcast began about the new Airbnb or Airbnb Air, <laughs> Airbnb uh, rules that mean that unless you are actually living in the space that you are renting out and you're renting out to only two people, you can no longer rent out the space. Now this rule was made in September, but after December 2nd, it goes into effect. So if you want to come and visit the city, uh, it's going to be a lot more expensive. And there are good reasons for this rule, but it also has impact on you know middle-class people as well. So this is something that I think we kind of need to talk about too, because I, I think there is an increased cost for travel and there is still a need for artists to travel. Yeah, um, you know, to, to kind of illustrate this point, when I went to spring break, I ran into my Danish dealer, Morten Paulson, who, you know, was sort of loudly discussing um, all of the costs associated with participating at spring break. But the thing that really jumped out wasn't the cost of like renting a booth at spring break for a hotel room for the 13 days that he was in town doing the fair, doing studio visits with his artist. It was like $7,500, which was more than the cost of renting the booth to stay in a hotel. Wow. He, couldn't find, he couldn't even find an Airbnb before this law takes effect. Right. And so I do, you know, understand that this Airbnb law is going to reduce the amount of kind of like affordable short term, you know. Well, it already uh, has because they tightened the laws in January. Um, So there used to be a lot, a lot more available. So I think he was probably experiencing that. Yeah. And so that is going to be the same thing for artists coming, you know, and looking for affordable places to stay. And, you know, I think one of the things that we sort of started talking about is, so what are the alternatives? If you're going to be visiting New York City, one thing to kind of figure out is, well, what are the Airbnb laws in the state of New Jersey, right? Because if you just go across the Hudson River, (laughs) you're in another state. Between the PATH train and New Jersey Transit, there's a whole lot of space on the other side of the river where you might be able to find cheaper accommodations, maybe Airbnb rentals. Um, If you're willing to spend an extra 20 minutes or 30 minutes on a train, 
you could probably really reduce uh, the cost of visiting New York City. I know it's not as sexy <laughs> to kind of say you're coming to stay in New Jersey, but that maybe is one of the ways to kind of think about, okay, if I'm going to visit New York, you know, do I really need to be in like Brooklyn or lower Manhattan? Um, can I think about just, you know, using some of the regional rail to, uh, you know, reduce the cost of staying? And then also, you know, certainly um, if you have friends who live in New York City, if they have an extra room or if there's uh, somebody willing to do an apartment swap, um, particularly if they're also not artists and you have a lovely home somewhere else that people would like to um, stay for a week. Those are other ways to kind of think about how you might be able to find a place to stay in New York. Yeah. And I think like one thing that comes up for me a lot is I live in New York, but I have a cat and... Uh, because our cat is the most spoiled cat in the world, that this cat will not be left alone in the house. So <laughs> we always prefer to have somebody come in and stay in the house and while we're away. And there are a lot of people with dogs who need that kind of support as well. So that's, that's a, a really good trade where... I think everybody wins. And I mean, I think the other thing is, and I always do this when I'm traveling uh, to places, I'll be doing this in Miami this coming December for the fairs, is I always look for somebody who I can split a hotel with so I don't have to pay the full cost. I don't even like staying in a hotel room by myself. I find it boring. I'd much (laughs) rather split it with someone. Yeah, it's nice to have a friend, somebody that, you know, you can one split the cost with, have somebody to talk to, but also it's such a social time going to the art fairs that you're really not spending a whole lot of time in the hotel. You know, it's the place to like exactly. come home and go to sleep before you get back up for the brunch in the morning. Yeah. So all of those things I think will really help you. And like planning out my snacking a little bit better. Like so that I'm not paying for the enormous fees that come with getting art fair food. If you have trail mix, if you have things that you can um, you can purchase in advance so, so you don't get stuck in these oasises where there's the, like, they've got you and they're gonna charge you $15 for avocado on toast. See what yeah. you can do. I mean, if you're coming to New York City and this is, you know, like uh, something you do once a year, plan your schedule so that you can save the money you would spend on overpriced art fair, sort of mediocre food and go to a really good restaurant. You're in New York City, you know, like. Mm, (laughs) Yeah, that's such a good point. Yeah. Bring some trail mix to the art fair and then go to dinner. Shave off a half an hour of looking at artwork and yeah, get out and go to a really good restaurant. I mean, it's um, you're in New York. (laughs) <laughs> don't eat art fair food <laughs> <laughs> that may be some of the best advice we've given today <laughs> so we have the prices of the museums going up we've covered the prices of the art fairs going up we've covered the freeness and the not freeness of galleries and we've covered the increased cost of traveling for artists and what you can do to uh, mitigate some of that cost are there any other costs that we have missed or solutions to some of those costs 
I mean, you know, we, we've talked about the idea that inflation is happening, costs are going up, you know, some of this feels inevitable, but I guess when it comes to art and like access to art, I don't think that it should be inevitable that we yeah. can make arguments to kind of keep things affordable. Because I also realize, you know, on one hand, I support the Airbnb law that's being passed because we have an affordability crisis in New York for people who live here and the affordable housing stock you know, hasn't grown at the same way that luxury housing has grown. New York City hadn't kind of gone all in on building luxury housing that we have absentee landlords who just parked some money into that real estate as an investment where Hudson Yards, you know, sit sort of largely empty and we have an enormous amount of commercial space that is available. You know, I do, I do this is more of a sort of open question, but at some point, um, whether it's the Lower Manhattan Cultural Council who sort of like built their program in empty office space in lower Manhattan, I think some of those programs might need to be revived because there's an enormous amount of potential workspace for artists in the city just sitting there. So <laughs> that might be something to think about in terms of you know affordability and expense. If you're an artist in New York, maybe it's a good time to start asking questions about a lot of this available office space. You know, so maybe in the short term, there could be a couple of years of affordable studio space, but it's not going to happen until we sort of start asking landlords. There's actually a really good podcast um, on 99% Invisible that mm. has to do with the uh, amount of commercial, available commercial space in New York and in other cities and the obstacles to converting that now, in this case, they were talking about converting that to residential to help deal with the uh, you know, affordability crisis and the housing crisis here. And the upshot of that particular podcast was that there's actually a lot of hurdles to doing that. And in mm -hmm. the 90s, a lot of that work was actually done. So a lot of these buildings that are particularly well suited for those, for these types of projects, which are buildings that have were built before air conditioning was widely used. So they have more windows and partitions and things like that. Those have already been converted. In terms of artist space, uh, that seems like something that, that could be explored a little bit more, especially because it's not a problem unique to, to New York. Like all cities across the country are experiencing these same problems and the solutions are going to be slightly different, but hopefully they are things that we can kind of work together and collaborate with to, with each other and with other quote unquote stakeholders to use a business term to, mm -hmm. to try and come up with some solutions. And I, you know, I do want to give a, I guess a, a kind of hat tip here to network because the reason we exist is to kind of pool our resources and make it easier for artists to connect with each other. And if they want to travel someplace, like they will have friends and resources to make it more affordable. That's one of the reasons we exist. Yeah, I think so. You know, there's certainly a longer conversation on affordability in museums at some point, but, you know, I think... We've talked a little bit about some ways that people might be able to um, try, yeah, try to try to find 
memberships and discount codes, get artist memberships, um, get people in for free when they come in to visit if you have a membership already. All right. Well, thanks so much, William, for joining me again on the podcast. And everyone else, I will see you next week. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review and share it with a friend. It really helps get that valuable information out to more artists just like you. You can find all of the names and the links that we reference in this conversation at workshop.art slash podcast.